Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Well, good morning, and it is a great morning to talk about truth and the things of God, and uh, the and contemplate where we go in our study of what is and the existential reality in the universe uh, with which God has presented us. And and I know it's very early for all of those converse- conversations, especially those of you who are joining on the West Coast, uh, some of you who called in from Oregon yesterday. Um, but interestingly, Tucker Carlson had an interview last night uh, with Elon Musk, who, of course, all of you know um, from, from Tesla, from Twitter, and, you know, all of those things and was such um it's just a brilliant tech mind and you know spacex all of those things and they were talking uh quite a lot about artificial intelligence and um some of the ethical questions around that and um this this in particular was something that i thought very interesting um and, and the whole interview was fascinating and i would i would recommend going back and listening to it but um elon actually suggested that artificial intelligence has the potential of destruction of our whole civilization. Let's listen to this. This is cut five. AI is more dangerous than, say, mismanaged uh, aircraft design or production maintenance or, or, or b- bad car production uh, in the sense that it is, it has the potential, uh, however small one may regard that probability, but it is non-trivial. It has the potential of civilizational destruction. So that's a pretty big statement, um, and I don't think that he makes that lightly. So uh, how do we think about uh, artificial intelligence and the ethics surrounding that? Well, my first guest this morning is the tech policy advisor for the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., and uh, also, like Elon, I think a, a very uh, brilliant, a little bit younger man, but uh, very, very brilliant. Uh, and Jake Denton joins me this morning, and good morning. And, and I just want to, um, first of all, frame this Jake, for those who aren't really caught up on, on like what artificial intelligence means as a term, what exactly are we talking about uh, when we're discussing this whole, um, I think, subject matter? Yeah, good morning. I think, you know, this is one of the more difficult ones to explain because there's a million different things going on at once in this space. Uh, we're all familiar now, or at least those of us on social media with kind of the deep fake video content, um, you know, voice emulating softwares, things that make uh, kind of more whimsical use of the technology. Um, but there's also another side of it, which is kind of the data aggregation, the data sorting, um, the things that would be used in a commercial capacity to make quicker decisions um, and to kind of streamlo- streamline workflows. Um, and so when Elon is discussing kind of the grave danger uh, to society, he's not discussing necessarily uh, the deep fake stuff, although that is very concerning and it can certainly cause damage. He's more discussing kind of the information systems, the ability to kind of implement these technologies um, and put, empower them to, you know, make decisions automated uh, without human review. Um, and, you know, the real concern here is that these systems, these programs have gone out um, without any government oversight, without any kind of industry standards, no ethical framework. 
Um, and now they're just being deployed commercially without really um, any telling where they're headed. And so that's kind of the the concern that Elon was teeing up there. So so that's really fascinating. And where what are some examples of how um, AI has been deployed in some commercial system that currently isn't regulated or has an ethical framework? Yes. Yeah, so a good instance of this is BuzzFeed's replacement of part of its workforce with ChatGPT-related systems to produce articles. Um, you know, this is kind of a lighthearted one. Everyone laughed when the BuzzFeed authors got fired because no one likes BuzzFeed. Um, but that's job replacement. That's, um, you know, commercial application of this technology. Um, but what's, you know, headed down the pipe here soon is going to be, you know, the replacement of uh, customer service industry, uh, the replacement of kind of more white collar jobs, the research assistant type roles, um, these things that are, uh, you know, jobs where you're sorting through large amounts of information, uh, synthesizing and producing an assessment of what you're reading. Um, you know, there's other instances such as HR software, um, right? Hypothetically, you uh, apply to a job. Uh, there's thousands of applicants and the HR hiring manager wants to make a quick decision on who to hire. Well, the AI is now being deployed to make quick decisions. Uh, and, you know, in many instances, this has already been a thing. Um, but now it's kind of making those decisions, you know, from its own perspectives, um, you know, internal programming. Um, so really what it comes down to is you're losing the opportunity in many environments now for human review, uh, for human oversight. And it's being automated away to a program um, that we know very little about as, you know, the pub- general public. Um, it's really all hidden behind the veil of, you know, Silicon Valley's kind of uh, corporate umbrella. We have no idea uh, really what's going on there, just like we had no idea what's going on from the Twitter files. So that's all kind of the, the concern. Yeah. And, and you know, this has been a discussion for, for years in uh, the legal framework as well. So, for example, in, in my profession, uh, if you have a prosecutor's office, like say that there's a government office that is reviewing files and how uh how these potential charges should be handled and what types of plea bargains to offer. And, and so you're literally dealing with liberty issues and what goes into that if it's all automated and they just say, okay, this is the, um, so say like, for example, in, in a DUI framework where um, you know people c- are charged with a DUI, they have a certain blood alcohol content, they have certain indicia of alcohol. And so based on um, that type of metric, you just spit out an offer um, without taking into account the individual circumstances without taking into account maybe maybe mitigating factors, um, all of those things, is that really a good judgment without human review? Uh, and so a lot of these types of um, issues, Jake, are, are very uh, concerning, especially when it does um, deal with, with really significant issues of life and liberty, um, like in, in the uh, the legal realm. And and Elon also uh, was talking about training AI to lie. So I'm wondering what you think about this. This is cut four. Yeah. So I think, you know, ultimately we saw uh, Google, right, uh, try and grapple with a Google's Bard, uh, try and grapple with an economic problem. And, you know, they end up creating a, a fake economics book to, to cite the problem, their solution. Um, and it shows kind of the, the dilemma here in that uh, on the back end, it is making decisions that it believes to be right and then finding the information, whether it exists or not, to, to verify it. And so when that comes to decisions, you know, maybe in the medical industry or maybe in the you know, legal industry, 
um, where you know oftentimes a human uses a, a sound ethical framework to make that decision. Uh, the computer is just making up one of its own, and you know we're not we have no red line, we have no line in the sand. Um, at this current moment, we could see this deploy into any industry, such as medical or legal, um, and then we would be playing catch up. We would have our legislators trying to grapple with uh, the realities uh, in real time. And when we saw that letter that was put out by Elon Musk, you know, a few weeks ago now, that called for a pause and called for kind of regulatory guardrails to be put in place and for the industry to slow down, that's really what he was concerned about, is that uh, our legislators are notoriously slow. We've really been caught flat-footed here, and we could see this deploy and have real harm done, you know, to the lives of the American people. And there's, you know, we're just playing catch-up. We're okay with that, you know sunk cost of, you know, a life going down the drain simply because we wanted to, you know, win the commercial development of these uh, these programs. So that's uh, a, a huge concern here and one that to this day we're still not ready with. Uh, you know, the Biden administration is soliciting comments for their future AI regulation. Um, and meanwhile, we're still chugging away and we're still pushing out more and more updates to these systems. Uh, and there's no sign of slowing down. So, you know, the Elon interview is just another instance here of uh, drawing attention to it. But is Washington really paying attention? I don't know if the answer is yes. Then, and that's and that's really scary that Washington maybe isn't paying attention, and it takes somebody like Tucker Carlson to bring this more uh, to the fore. And and I did want to play that clip. Um, so this is Elon Musk on training AI to lie. What's happening is they're training the AI to lie. Yes. It's bad. To lie. To That's lie. exactly right. And to yes. withhold information. To lie and, and yes, you know, comment on some things, not comment on other things, but, but not to say what, it, what, what the data uh, actually uh, demands that it say. How did it get this way? I thought it's, it's, you funded it at the beginning. What happened? Yeah, well, that would be ironic. But faith, the most ironic outcome is the most likely, it seems. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this was this was just interesting um, in one sense that you know Elon's kind of pondering I think the the ethical questions here. So, um, so Jake Denton from Heritage, um, are are we at the point where anyone actually is contemplating ethical framework and can we get there before some of these systems that have already been deployed are, for lack of a better term, out of control? Yeah, you know, in kind of small policy discussions, these ethical questions have been happening for years, um, but they haven't gotten a seat at the table when it comes to the actual decision makers. Uh, you know, academics across the country grapple with these things constantly, and the literature exists. We've just decided to not employ it. We've decided not to implement it within a regulatory framework. Um, and unfortunately, we've already seen the deployment. So anything we do to implement uh, these ethical kind of guidelines uh, would you know, be after the fact of deployment, and it's very difficult to have the same impact, right? It's built upon now an ethicalist foundation, um, and to go in and add those in afterwards, it's not going to be as effective. Just the nature of these systems, they learn in real time. And so, you know, to come in and add another rule set, um, it's not operating necessarily from, you know, square one. It's uh, down the line, and there's many things that it won't be able to correct. So, um, every day that goes by without those rules in place that's guiding this evolution um, is another day we don't get back and another day that it makes up its own ethical framework. Um, so across the board, um, this is one of those issues that's not necessarily fit for our uh, you know, lackadaisical legislative process. Um, it's one that requires swift decision-making, decisive action, 
um, and one that our leaders uh, aren't necessarily equipped uh, to understand. Yeah, we've certainly seen how you know a lot of um, the a lot of Congress when dealing with some of these uh, tech issues, uh, even in some of the the Twitter files things and and things that uh, you know we've seen in open hearings where um, they they just aren't familiar with the technology and so can't necessarily. Um, view that in, in a way that is is decisive for uh, legislative measures. And that's why it's important for other policy advisors to be able to have this type of input. Um, in just the last like minute or so I have with you, is this also being contemplated, um, to your knowledge, on a broader worldwide scale? Because I'm thinking of this like in the context of maybe... Um, Department of Defense or, you know, some of the the ways that we interact with our foreign policy and taking, um, you know, some of those decision makings out of human hands and into a system might prove to be dangerous in terms of the world stage as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, this is an arms race. It's easy for us to view it as simply, you know, consumer products, but these will streamline decision making processes uh, on every level of our society. And we're seeing, you know, primarily China um, really, you know, hit the ground running in terms of their development. They're slow walking its deployment, um, but in many ways they're pacing at the exact same rate as us. And so, you know, if we were to maybe press pause or if we were to slow down our development uh, with, you know, the implementation of ethical guidelines, we risk falling behind then China um, and potentially seeing their technology spread worldwide. And so at the end of the day, uh, we have to really view this more as uh, a geopolitical issue as well, because whoever wins this race will have control over the information systems on a global, on a global scale. Whichever technology is the most powerful will be adopted um, and will be living in that world. And so if it's China's, we'll be under China's content guidelines, similar if it were to be Russia. Um, so it, it's really critical that we do this the correct way from, you know, as early as possible so that we don't have to backtrack and lose our lead. Yeah, so well said. I mean, there's so many different implications here and, um, and incredibly informative. Jake Denton, really appreciate it. Heritage is very blessed to have you uh, there and to be able to discuss this. And uh, we do need to be taking this a lot more seriously. So really appreciate your time today. Um, you can follow Jake Denton at Real Jake Denton. Uh, on uh, Twitter, a real Jay Denton on Twitter, and also the Heritage Foundation, and get all of their uh, information there. And we will be right back here with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. God made his design for marriage and family absolutely clear. Unfortunately, Satan has a totally opposite view. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023 wants to restore God's plan. July 6th through the 8th at the Cadence Bank Arena and Conference Center in Tupelo, Mississippi, strengthen your marriage and your family with Miki Addison. The family, God's tool to advance the gospel and grow the church. This is why the enemy attacks it so much. Israel Wayne. The latest government statistics say dads spend 19 minutes a day with their children, and the average mom spends an hour a day. We have to have time with them. Stephen Black. This lust, this inordinate desire, actually brings destruction to everyone around. How do you know this? Because I used to be homosexual. And many more. 
the Youth Apologetics track is back as well. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023, for His glory alone. Register today at marriagefamilylife.net. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. He is the state's junior senator and a former member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Romans 15.1 reminds us of the conduct of a good leader. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Senator Roger Marshall as he leads the people of Kansas each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Much-anticipated revival of Looney Tunes cartoons has blown up like a crate of Acme Dynamite. The new series debuted on HBO Max, but not before undergoing a 21st century cultural cleansing. It seems Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam have been disarmed. The executive producer telling the New York Times Elmer will no longer carry his oversized hunting rifle and Sam won't have his giant pistols. It's not clear if the decision is based on recent school shootings. But that's not to say there won't be any cartoon-style violence. Looney Tunes says there's plenty of episodes where characters get blown up with dynamite and Wiley Coyote gets flattened with an Acme anvil. But guns? No longer allowed. You know, it sounds to me like somebody dropped a giant Acme anvil on the programmers at HBO. They're really singing a Looney Tune here, folks. Suffer and succotash. I'm Todd Stearns. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are contemplating uh, the existential reality of the universe this morning. You know, just some pretty light topics here on on American Family Radio Network. But this is very important, actually, for uh, for us to, as Christians, contemplate what the biblical view of not only humanity is, which uh, we contemplate daily in our lives, our decision-making, in our public policy, in truth in society, which is the definition of politics, um, but then also in systems and technology uh, like artificial intelligence. So we've been talking this morning about Elon Musk's interview with Tucker Carlson last night and um, this rising conversation that's that's kind of been in the background, and I'm very glad that Tucker has brought this more to the fore um, in in our more national conversation about the ethics surrounding artificial intelligence. And another uh, clip, and I was actually talking to my dad last night about this because um, he was actually, I have to give him credit for this, he was actually um, 
earlier out on this than Tucker, if you can believe that. So I have to give my dad credit because in church, in our um, adult Sunday school morning hour before you know the main service, um, we have a worldview hour and um, applied truth to our daily lives and knowing what truth is, but then actually uh, taking that and applying it to our lives. And uh, we've been going through this series of um, John Lennox, who's a fabulous apologetics um, speaker and thinker. And if you're not familiar with him, I would highly commend um, all of his books and um, and, and sermons, really, uh, but talks on this. And he has um, a whole conversation and a whole series on artificial intelligence and the application um, of that to our uh, our understanding of what it means to be human and the biblical worldview perspective. So, um, so when when this conversation came up uh, last night, my, my dad was texting me, go, saying, you know, oh, this is great that you know Tucker and Elon are discussing this, and it's fascinating. And there was one uh, clip in particular that we were talking about um, that Elon and Tucker were not only talking about you know these systems and the potential of um, civilization destruction and and you know some of these more um, apocalyptic things, but also um, the ethical implications and whether or not we as humans have a soul, and does that differentiate humans from machines that have the capacity to decision make or what we would term as thinking. And this this was a whole really fascinating discussion. And I, I would have loved to see this a lot longer. But um, this was Tucker and Elon pondering this question. This is cut six. But we feel that way because we have souls and that makes us sentimental and reflective. It gives us a moral sense, longings. Can a machine ever have those things? Can a machine be sentimental? Can it appreciate beauty? Well, I mean, we're getting to, into some, you know, philosophical areas that are hard to resolve. Um, you know, I, I, I take somewhat of a scientific view, view of things, which is that we, we might have a soul or we might not have a soul. I don't know. Um, it feels like I, we have, a, I feel like I've got some sort of consciousness that exists on a plane um, that is not the one we observe. Yes. That is certainly how, how I feel, but it, it could be an illusion. I don't know. Isn't that fascinating? It, it could be an illusion. We, we don't know. Well, we as Christians do know the answer to that question, and it actually is very simple to determine the difference between machines thinking and decision-making versus humans, because human beings are made in God's image, and machines are not. And that's just the fundamental difference. And so we understand in the framework and the reality to which we are presented, as C.S. Lewis describes in Mere Christianity— that we understand um, who we are and and we understand that God put his very nature uh, in us. And so we are completely different and separate as human beings from the rest of creation, which includes, of course, technology and anything that is um, synthesized or synthetic or built by man and those structures. But no matter how intelligent 
a an artificial system becomes even they could be vastly more intelligent for example than a human or a specific human um certainly a machine that has the ability my, my laptop is is certainly um if we want to rate it on the scale of um being able to do data processing and the speed of google searching is certainly smarter and i put that in air quotes uh than for example um, my nephew who's four but that doesn't change the nature and the reality of what defines us as human beings. And this is why when we go back to the pro-life issue and understand that life at conception is not only worth protecting, but the reality of truth requires us to protect life from the very moment of conception all the way till natural death is because we are uniquely created in the image of God. And so as much as we can program these systems and we can say, um, oh, they can think, they they can, you know, possibly however we want to parse the phrase or define um, the word or the parameter around, you know, feelings, um, emotions and, and ability to function and ability for processing, for all of these things that I was just talking with Jake Denton about in the last segment, that that capacity is not what makes us inherently valuable. And so from a worldview perspective, we have to be very careful as Christians to always define the truth of what it means to be human in terms of our relationship with God, our creator, and that because he impressed his image on us and told us that we are made in his image, humanity is completely separate from any other part of the rest of creation. And so when we're talking about these value judgments in the context of law and policy and how our society questions uh, medical decision-making, um, things that are contemplated like um, physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia, and um, you know whether, the, whether we have uh, what's called completed life bills, where people who are advanced in age or um, have diminished capacity, um, they, they have uh, a, a, veg- a vegetative state, for example, if someone is in a coma. Uh, you know, some of these questions on when is it okay, ethically and morally, to uh, pull the plug. Um, those are all things that we have to contemplate as a civil society in the framework and the structure of first and foremost defining human beings as made in the image of God and having inherent dignity and worth. And if we go back to our founder's description of our rights that God gives us in the declarational framework, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and terming our rights as unalienable, which isn't a fabrication of our founders, it's a recognition of truth, then we know that life is one of those unalienable rights. And, and that term, I love that term because it's it's Thomas Jefferson's fingerprints on the Declaration of Independence that was concerned about um, our rights being so intrinsic to our humanity that they can't be bought, sold, abridged, infringed at whim, but are so central to who we are as human beings made in the image of God that it can't 
those rights can never be separated from us. The right to life is so incredibly valuable and important. We cannot, even within our own capacity and human judgment, separate that from ourselves. We cannot choose to end our life morally. We cannot choose to have completed life bills and say, well, I'm, I'm no longer valuable to society and have some kind of scale of saying, well, as long as you contribute um, it, whatever contribution means to society, then you are valuable. Um, this is why all of these other isms of philosophies like racism, sexism, um, you know, all of these things that would categorize uh, human beings based on certain either intrinsic characteristics or extrinsic characteristics, things that we contribute um, or, or ways that we participate in society. We can't categorize value and net worth based on those factors. We only base it morally and ethically and truthfully on the essence of humanity. And, and that just comes down to our, our DNA. I mean, we know what defines us as a human because it's, it's all about, as actually as Elon Musk aptly put it, um, he thinks about it in terms of the science. Well, God gave us discoverable reality. So we know the difference between a, a, an embryo, a human embryo, versus any other uh, type of um, a fetus or embryo of any other type of, of creature on planet life. And, and we know that based on the structure and, and the science. We know what it is to be a human physically. And we also know what it means to be a human spiritually. And so when we're contemplating those questions of artificial intelligence and, you know, are the machines smarter than humans? Well, maybe, depending on how we how we define smarter, how, you know, how the machines function in society and, you know, and, and how we talk about ethical parameters we need to, we need to have these conversations. But let's not just jump past the, the foundational premise and understanding and part of the discoverable reality here is that machines will never be human. They are not made in the image of God. So we have to have these conversations starting out with biblical truth, because if we don't have that as a foundational premise, then the conversation will definitely go completely sideways because we're not founding it first and foremost in truth. And so when we when we talk about these these things about um, whether or not we may have a soul and spirituality and um, how we understand our own consciousness, all of those things can be answered very clearly through the biblical worldview of truth because God gives us his a general revelation, which is the universe around us. We can discover him and his nature and how uh, moral truth works and functions in society through the laws of nature and nature's God, as our founders talked about. And we also have specific revelation, which is the word of God. It's it's the Bible. And and God revealed him, himself specifically to us through the word of God and through the scope of human history. I had a, a professor in uh, journalism uh, school when um, when I was going through the World Journalism Institute. Um, my, my background and my bachelor's degree is in journalism before I went to law school. 
And um, this this professor who is a Christian said, and I love this, that journalism and recorded history, and, and we always like to think as Christians of that being his story, history, and it is, is the record of God's movements throughout time. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have seen uh, his specific revelation and general revelation. And we are uniquely made on this very privileged planet, to borrow the term from an excellent documentary uh, called The Privileged Planet that I also highly recommend, that we live in a world that we can discover the laws of nature that reflect nature's God, the design, the beauty, the artistry, things that we then as humans have the capacity to appreciate and to see and observe and to understand the world around us. And we have the capacity to appreciate that very differently than other creatures. But it's not even that capacity to appreciate beauty, because think about someone, you know, who who may be blind since birth and doesn't have the capacity to appreciate um, nature through the lens of sight, but that doesn't make them any less human. We just know that something went wrong, but um, any kind of diminished capacity of the features and the aspects of our human bodies, because we live in a fallen world, may be diminished, but that never can mute or diminish our intrinsic value as human beings made in the image of God. And this is why it's so important that we take this foundational truth into all areas of not only our life and practice and worship and recognition of God, but also our law and policy. Because when we think about this as being unalienable, our rights and who we are as human beings made in the image of God, what separates us from any other creature, any other machine, any other um plant life, then we know we can't, it, we don't, and we just don't have the capacity to change the nature of what it means to be human. So we can't change things that are immutable characteristics about us, like uh, this whole conversation about transgender ideology. The, the difference of what separates that ideology from Christianity and truth is is that the transgender ideology believes that we have the capacity as humans to arbitrate our own reality on gender. And we know from the the world around us, from biology, that's not physically possible, but even mentally and spiritually and feelings-based, it's not possible because our very human value and human dignity is defined by God. We have to always define human humanity through our relationship with God, our creator, and that we are made in his image. So we will be right back to talk about this and more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Jenna Ellis in the morning. You need to be very concerned about what your children are being exposed to if they go to a public school or even if they go to a Christian school. 
parents are not just allowed, they have a constitutionally protected fundamental right that is God-given to direct the education, well-being, and faith options of their children. Jenna Ellis in the morning, weekdays at 7 Central on American Family Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Peck, host of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show beginning April 24th on AFR.net. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. The podcast begins April 24th on AFR.net, and I can hardly wait. See you there. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Jessica Bates became a single mother and widow after she lost her husband to a car crash. Ms. Bates, a Christian, sought to open her home to adopt a sibling pair, but the Oregon Department of Human Services denied her adoption application because her Christian beliefs wouldn't allow her to respect, accept, and support sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression as the agency's regulations require. Ms. Bates has secured the services of Alliance Defending Freedom, and she has filed a lawsuit against the agency for excluding her from adopting due to her Christian faith. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner, or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Bob Kraft is the founder of Reach a Village Ministries. In more than 20 countries of the world, Reach a Village is encouraging and training and equipping people to go into places where the gospel has not been preached. God is using Reach a Village in remarkable ways. We've seen the single largest baptismal events in both Cambodia and Thailand. Numbers and numbers of people very receptive to the gospel. Historic numbers. It's God's hand on the movement. It's not us. There's no secret sauce here. We got back to the basics of what the Word of God says. These wonderful local believers took that and went with it. Learn how you can partner with Reach a Village when you visit reachavillage.org slash AFR. Again, reachavillage.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So we're talking about the things of truth and understanding uh, the truth in the world around us and the truth in civil society and in politics and uh, the truth around us. And that also carries into the the truth of what it means to be a family and what the definition of marriage is and all of these things of a life and truth. And so the American Family Association will be holding our annual Marriage Family Life or MFL conference in Tupelo, Mississippi on July 6th through 8th. And I'm so excited to participate this year. So uh, everyone is invited. You can register at marriagefamilylife.net. That's marriagefamilylife.net. 
www.thrivingcommunities.net. Click on the register now. And our theme this year is For His Glory Alone. And at the core, Marriage Family Life Conference is designed to be a God-glorifying tool that encourages believers of all ages to stand firm on their biblical beliefs while being tested and pressured by the world to remain silent about our faith. And isn't that true that we are being pressured to be silenced about our faith, but also compelled to speak lies uh, and to adopt the false ideology and mindset of the world? And of course, we need to be teaching our young people and our youth about the truth of the word of God and allow Uh, our young people to understand and grow up with a biblical framework so they can even identify the problems because, uh, and we call this in law school issue spotting, because um, if you are not trained, for example, in the law and someone comes to you with a problem, you may not even see what the actual legal peril is if you are not trained to spot the issues and to say, this is something that is putting you at very great risk. And it's the same thing for apologetics, that we have to be so well-trained as Christians in not only understanding truth in the biblical worldview, but we have to be so well-trained to spot the error in the world that we can address it and respond with truth. So we also have a youth apologetics track and a husband-wife team, Mark and Amy Warren, will be leading that. And they both join me now to talk more about that. So good morning, uh, Mark and Amy, and thanks so much for being on with me this morning. And um, Mark, we'll start with you. Um, So this youth apologetics track, it's from ages 12 to 17. What is the emphasis here on, uh, on this apologetics track at the Marriage Family Life Conference? Uh, we want to equip students to be able to respond to the uh, culture, to know reasons for their faith, and to be able to not just share their faith, but also to um, grow in their faith and uh, defend it from beliefs that are contrary to what's taught in uh, God's Word. And and this is so incredibly important uh, because our our children need to be able to grow up understanding the difference between right and wrong and and good and evil, not just from what rules mom and dad set in homes, uh, but also from a perspective of uh, the objective nature of truth and of God Himself. And so, Amy, you're a homeschool mom. And um, and you and and you have kids, and so of course have uh, teach that in your home. And so, um, why is is this apologetics course um, so critical for children to understand um, and and identify at an early age the biblical worldview? Oh man, that's a great question, and thank you for having us, Jenna. Um, it, it, it's it's become so clear for Mark and I as we homeschooled our kids, and we now have one in college. Um, just understanding that the basic structure of the family is so important. You know, when you look at the statistics, um, Gen Z at this point, uh, according to Barna, only 4% have a biblical worldview. Um, that, and that shows, that shows in the, the, um, the ideas that are being, that are infiltrating their culture, the culture around them and is destroying everything, even down to what it means to be human. Um, And so apologetics really gives them just an understanding of how to defend their faith 
It gives them, I think it was um, Francis Schaeffer that says, uh, the gospel doesn't start with Jesus wants to save you from your sins. It starts with, in the beginning, God created. And that framework is so important because kids need to understand what the basic uh, framework of the world of reality is in order for them to be able to, um, when they're faced with these ideas, to come back and say, okay, well, how does this make sense in the real world? Yeah, so well said. And, you know, we are um, consistently losing our youth to uh, various false ideologies and uh, false uh, thoughts and false standards of living. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting to me um, looking at even Christian kids who you know, maybe will say, okay, I go to church, I believe in God, um, and that's my faith, but then how they live out their lives, it, it to me, it's almost like a, a, a buffet of worldview, if you will, where, you know, we pick and choose what we believe in a very incoherent and inconsistent uh, plate of a, of a full worldview that um, that isn't isn't consistent with what the Bible says in all subject matters. So if you're a Christian in your faith, but then you go and you live out in um, in, in your sexual life, it, you know, how you deal with questions of human sexuality or how you deal in um, your college courses or how you approach um, you know, various decision making in and how you live um, within your family, those types of things. We have to be consistent and we have to teach um, children how to think through all of their decision making and the subject matters um, that they will encounter in life and practice and, and their own vocations from a consistently truthful worldview. And so, you know, Mark, um, what responsibility do parents have as well, um, not only to participate in, you know, these, these substantive courses of apologetics training, but also in discipling their children? Absolutely. That is the most important task that the parents have. And, you know, a lot of times parents drop their kids off at the church and expect the uh, the local church to disciple their kids. But really, it needs to begin with um, mom and dad. You know, Jesus said to um, teach these things, you know, in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And it really starts with the home. And in the church, I mean, when you think about the qualifications of a pastor, spiritual leader, you're looking for people who are spiritual leaders first in their home. And if we simply reach, you know, our own families, and if the church can consistently do that, then fulfilling the Great Commission is going to be a lot easier. But un- unfortunately, today, we, we have a challenge in, in that many many of the Christian homes are not discipling their own kids. They're, they're dropping their kids off and um, Caesar is uh, discipling their kids, and they've, um, you know, given up that responsibility. They've uh, trusted the, you know, the culture to do that, and what we're seeing is this is, you know, going to affect the next generation. So I think it's essential. The Bible says it's essential, and from experience, you know, we can see that when the, when mom and dad and particularly the, the father is the spiritual leader at home and reproduce Christ in their children through discipleship. We're going to uh, grow not just as families, but as the church community and will be the 
the salt and light in the world. Yeah, and, and parents absolutely cannot think that they can let their kids be in the world uh, you know, six and a half days a week and have all of that input of a false worldview and then somehow uh, just on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whenever you go to church, uh, th- that will combat all of that false ideology and uh, just from, you know, going to a worship service, for example. Um, and so we have the responsibility, and that's what I love about homeschooling. I was homeschooled all the way through, and my parents took that very seriously to not just train uh, my brothers and I in the, you know, math and history and, you know, some of those things that, that you need to go to college, but to truly disciple us in the, the things of Christ first and foremost. And so parents have that responsibility. And, um, and Amy, how would you encourage parents to think about um, apologetics and participating in something like the Marriage Family Life Conference and having their kids attend this track? Man, that's a great question. You know, the, 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 you were, you were saying earlier just about, you know, the ideas that are infiltrating and, and kids, you know, they go to church and, and the statistics are, are very sobering. Um, when you look between 70 to 90%, depending on what, what survey you're looking at, um, 70 to 90% of kids who grow up in the church are leaving the faith after their first year of college. And I see this. I see this. I see kids, um, from local churches and even from, you know, from fellowships that we've been a part of. Um, and it's almost like on the dot, 10 months later, they're posting things on social media that are just, you know, just wrought with just secular ideas that are detrimental to their faith, detrimental to human flourishing. And and as parents, our responsibility absolutely is, if you're homeschooling, man, you've got to get on the front end of things. Having your children understand the structure of the world before the world gets to them, because when the world comes to them with their ideas, they have a frame of reference to say, you know, I don't think that's true, true, because logic and reason and the Christian um, framework makes the best sense out of the the way the world is. It makes sense of where everything came from. It makes sense of um, why why the world isn't the way it should be. It makes sense of... um, you know, how is it going to be fixed or, you know, through, through, um, through, through redemption? And then what's going to happen in the end? The Christian framework has the best answers for all of these major life questions. And as homeschooling parents, as parents in general, man, things like the marriage family conference and, and, and um, apologetics training and things like that are vital to helping our children navigate the world of ideas today, they are facing an ocean of competing ideas of what is true. And there's only one truth. And there's only one truth that makes sense. And it is our absolute responsibility and command from the God who gave it, who, who is truth himself to pass these on to our kids. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I, I want to underscore what you said uh, about how everyone will have to answer life's most important questions of, you know, who am I and who is God? Um, is there a God and is there eternity? Where are we going? What is life's purpose? I mean, all of these things that are part of our reality and our contemplation of life, um, every every child will, will ask and answer 
uh, these questions and we can either answer them substantively with truth or allow kids to borrow from the culture and to have a passive worldview. Um, a lot of people don't even understand what worldview is. They're not thinking about it in in terms of what what do I think about these things and living that self-examined life and and contrasting their ideology with what the culture is telling them. They just absorb it. And so we do have a responsibility to impact those around us and especially parents to to children that God gave you specifically to train up in the way they should go so when they're older they won't depart from it. Why won't they depart from it? Because they have substantive answers and the only inherently consistent answer to all of these most basic questions. So this is so important. And thank you so much, uh, Mark and Amy, for joining me this morning. Um, You can go to marriagefamilylife.net, click on the register now uh, tab there, and you can uh, come to the Marriage Family Life Conference uh, for yourself as an adult. And uh, we will be ministering to culture-wearied adults, but also the youth. And we want to encourage believers to contend for the faith that was once all delivered to the saints, as uh, the book of Jude admonishes us to equip believers to defend biblical truth regarding marriage, identity, and life. And so the Youth Apologetics track is open. And I will just say from personal um, experience as, you know, once a homeschool a student and going through all of these questions as a young person myself, I attended apologetics tracks like this um, multiple times. As you know, and you may think, well, I don't, you know, I don't need that for my kid until they get into high school. I, I would say no. You absolutely need to start now. This is um, open for ages four through seventeen. Don't wait until your young person um, is a teenager and already has absorbed a lot of the culture before you equip and train uh, your children to understand how to engage in culture. Because you know, even homeschooled students, it's like no matter what we view or don't view on the television or you know any of those things that you shield your kids from they're still going to absorb part of the culture unless we equip them to deal with that in truth so again marriagefamilylife.net i will see you there it is july 6th through 8th in tupelo mississippi which is a beautiful town i loved visiting last week Um, So go to marriagefamilylife.net and we will be back tomorrow with more truth and talking about contemplating the world through a biblical worldview lens and engaging politics and culture and civil society with truth on Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can reach me at Jenna at AFR.net. Follow us on social media at Jenna Ellis AM on Twitter or our Facebook page. That email address Jenna at AFR.net. Make it a great day. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.